Hi, this is Steve Nerlick from Cheap Astronomy. Why, 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 why Cheap Astronomy? Yeah, why? And this is Dear Cheap Astronomy, episode 57, Back to the Weird Stuff. Here at Cheap Astronomy, we do like to dabble in some of the more hypothetical areas of cosmology and astrophysics, not to mention the fundamental basis of reality. And so, this week, it's back to the weird stuff. Dear Cheap Astronomy, What the heck is string theory? String theory involves finding mathematical solutions that effectively model the particles that either make up matter or mediate forces, in other words, fermions or bosons. String theory follows quantum principles, which means that only a limited set of solutions are possible. So a bit like how the strings of musical instruments produce musical notes when they vibrate within a limited set of frequencies, a limited set of frequencies in string theory should produce fermions and bosons. Well, that's the idea anyway. No one has actually cracked the code yet. The fact that a lot of eminent scientists keep pursuing this line of inquiry suggests they really might be onto something, but if anyone asks, are we there yet? The answer is definitely no. It turns out that the mathematics of string theory will only work by invoking additional dimensions in which various string vibrations can take place. Current thinking is that you need nine spatial dimensions as well as time being the tenth dimension. Although other people say you actually need eleven dimensions, and yet others say you actually need twenty-six. The additional spatial dimensions required are invisible and unmeasurable, generally described as being compactified into such tiny spaces that they are undetectable. Critics of string theory suggest this is a case of the tail wagging the dog. That is, since the only way string theorists can get their math to work is to invoke invisible dimensions, they therefore claim that this is how the universe must be, possessing all those invisible dimensions, even though they haven't actually got their string mathematics to work yet. We actually started this podcast with the intention of making another Fantastic Physics Formula episode. But the trouble is, there isn't really one string theory formula. String theory is a kind of sandpit that string theorists play in, where particular rules and principles apply that are different from the rules that apply in other sandpits that other theorists play in. If you push a string theorist to show you the math that underlies their sandpit, they'll most likely direct you to S-matrix or path integral mathematics, neither of which are really string theory, and neither of which have single formulas either. They're just more sandpits. To give you a sense of where string theory sits, here's a cheap summary of the current state of modern physics. Standard quantum theory does a fine job of modelling what point particles are, such as quarks, photons, electrons, mesons, and so on. Small astronomy joke there. Then there are quantum field theories, 
that ably deal with particle interactions. For example, quantum chromodynamics describes how quarks are held together by gluons to produce matter particles like protons and neutrons. Then quantum electrodynamics models how light and matter interact, remembering that light is really electromagnetic radiation. But we are yet to see quantum physics produce an effective explanation of how gravity works. There are various quantum gravity theories out there, which are either just quantum gravity theories, that try to apply quantum principles to explain gravity, or they are theories of everything, that try to not only explain gravity, but also to explain electromagnetism, and the weak and the strong nuclear forces, and the underlying structure of matter. In other words, they pretty much try to explain everything. And this is where string theory sits. It is a theory of quantum gravity, and it's also a theory of everything. Although at the end of the day, it's a mathematical sandpit within which no one has actually nailed a solution to anything yet, let alone everything, although they might one day. So, for the moment, we generously call string theory a theory, but it's yet to fulfil its objective of providing one unified theoretical schema, so perhaps string theory is best thought of as a theory with a small t, while general relativity and quantum physics are big T theories, each supported by a truckload of observations and measurements, and each supported by some headline formulas. This is the middle bit. Of course, we're not insisting that string theory is weird. Indeed, it might even be right. With all the activity going on within CERN and elsewhere, it's clear that some pretty eminent people think it's right, or at least that it's the right way to head. Of course, the future is an undiscovered country. According to Star Trek and some guy called Shakespeare, the question is, do we just have to discover it? Or do we have to make it? Dear Cheap Astronomy, is the future already determined? Well, a bit, but mostly it's not. As we've argued before in Cheap Astronomy, the only time frame that really exists is the present. The idea of hopping into a time machine and travelling to the past or the future assumes that both the past and the future somehow exist as destinations. But for that to work, there has to be energy available to sustain both your departure point, the present, and those destinations, past and future. However, from everything we observe in the universe, it seems that all the energy that's available in the current moment of the universe is consumed in taking it and us into the next moment. Otherwise, we'd constantly lose energy to sustain the past. So it is pretty much a case of, you can't have your cake and eat it. And in much the same way, the future can't already exist now, because all the energy that's currently in the present now has to be taken forward to power up that future. Of course, not everyone agrees with this viewpoint. For example... Multiverse theories depend on there being sufficient energy to maintain multiple versions of the universe simultaneously. 
Nonetheless, fundamental quantum mechanics does suggest the future can't be predetermined, since, at a quantum level, nothing is predictable. Indeed, everything is inherently unpredictable. So the future really must be something we make up as we go. All that said, though, we shouldn't just talk about time in isolation. Time really is just one aspect of space-time. So, while it may be true that the past is irretrievably gone, you can still see it. Indeed, through astronomy, you can still see 13.8 billion years of it. In astronomy, you always have to remember that anything you see happening at a distance happened in the past. And whatever may be happening in that distance today, like now today, is unknowable and inaccessible. You can potentially travel to a destination 100 light years away, but it will take you more than 100 years to get there. But of course, anything becomes possible in science fiction. Starfleet can receive an alert from the light years distant planet Vulcan about something that is happening now, like today now, because of subspace communication. Whatever the heck that is. And according to Star Trek lore, Starfleet can just warp over there to save the day and then get home again in time for tea. So it all kind of depends what you want to believe. It's nice to imagine we have a Star Trek future to look forward to, but any by-the-book relativity theorist would say that receiving information about what's happening on the light-years distant Vulcan today and then warping over to fix it today means you are seeing and accessing things that are outside of your light cone. That is, you are seeing and accessing things today that are really in your distant, inaccessible and unknowable future. Of course, if we are going to believe relativity physics, you can actually get yourself into the future by moving it close to the speed of light so that time dilation comes into play. So if you fly around and around the Earth really, really fast, it might take you less than a day to get into the 23rd century. But all the while that you're doing that, everyone down on Earth can see you whizzing around and around overhead, day by day, as they live, grow old, have families, and die. So even though it might seem to you like you just clicked your fingers and went into the 23rd century... You actually went the long way around, covering an enormous amount of distance while doing those orbits at very high speed. So again, that's our cheap astronomy proposition. It's only the present moment that exists. The past is gone, although records of what it was still come to us from the distant past through electromagnetic radiation and other means. The future is an undiscovered country that just hasn't happened yet, and its eventual form will be entirely determined by whatever template the present moment delivers to it. So, whatever actions or inactions that we take now really do determine what our future will be. This is probably the most fundamental lesson that any sentient being can and should learn. But boy, it's sure taking us a while. This is the end bit. So, there you go. The world and the future is what you make of it. 
although you have to be mindful that everyone else is trying to make something of it too. But that's it for another episode of Dear Cheap Astronomy. If you've got a space science question, or you're back from the future to tell us how we got this one wrong, why not write to cheapastro at gmail.com and we'll try and string it all together for you. At least, theoretically. Thanks for listening. Steve Nellick, Cheap Astronomy.